Hi, Cameron. Hi, Tyler. It's, uh, it's that time again. Yes, it is. Um, we didn't plan much today, did we? Not really. But we've got a long list of all the things we want to deal with someday. Yeah. And uh, that's where we're going to start, is tackling that list. Getting through every single problem that we've ever had as photographers and, I don't know, handing out solutions to all those problems. And hopefully maybe... You know, tackling some problems that we haven't had too. Because I mean, really, when you think about it, this job of photography is is basically like one, you know, like endless problem solving mission. It's just a big problem. Yeah, I mean, that's what we do is we solve problems, right? That's right. Before we jump into our real thing, which we're going to talk about traveling, this has nothing to do with it. I did uh, this really big video shoot on the weekend Mm -hmm. and worked in the biggest studio that uh, that I have. And it was, I saw, I saw some pictures of that. Awesome. Yeah. It was a hundred square feet and they just have this massive rigging overhead of, um, if you saw those floating light bulbs Mm -hmm. or not light bulbs, they're big tubular glowing objects. They're uh, space lights and each one is two K. So 2000 Watts. So the whole, that whole thing was about 12,000 Watts lighting up the scene and it was so cool. It's such a great way to work because I've never really had to light that much space before. Mm-hmm. Usually if you're working in a room, like a smaller room, you need a lot less light or if you're working in a studio or just against a backdrop, but yeah, you're just lighting that area that you're shooting in. Yeah. It was really yeah. fun. And then it, uh, I was shooting on a new camera, which is the FS seven, which is the new, um, I don't know, the new hot thing in uh video land that shoots 4k and, tons of dynamic range and yeah i'm excited about it yeah did that ruin you yeah it's (laughs) it's also eight thousand dollars which is Mm -hmm. budget for that kind of camera but since Mm -hmm. we don't do all video work like videos sometimes it's most of the work but over the year it's maybe say 30 percent, 40 percent of the work we do Mm -hmm. and it doesn't make sense to drop a ton of money on something that uh isn't our primary work when we can get crossover cameras like the Sony a S seven could get kind of similar quality and also function as a still camera. So, so is that like a, uh, is that an item that you would rent if you needed to use it? We will be renting it right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if we were primarily a video production team, we would buy it at that price. Sure. Um, cause then it like the, the Alexa and the red cameras are, the high end ones that are, you know, close to like 30, 40, 50,000, mm-hmm. depending how big you rig them out. And that's what, you know, real movies are being made on. But this gets you, this really gets you like 90% of the way there. You start getting very close to that same level of quality for $8,000. It's sort of like what the 5D did. Like it's the same amount of step. Like for 5D for a few thousand dollars could get you close to the $8,000 camera, the $10,000 camera. Mm-hmm. And then now this $10,000 camera gets you close to the $30,000, $40,000. Yeah. Technology. Yeah. It's exciting. Uh, I have a question though. Oh yeah. Go ahead. What, what, what's a real movie? <laughs> I don't know. It's things that I don't make. <laughs> okay. I was just curious. Cause he said real movies are made on real like, movies, uh, the, you know, movies that have real budgets. Maybe that's the way to do it. That have a real crew oh, um, okay. that have five people operating the camera instead of one. <laughs> All right, I guess I, I have a friend that that does a lot of uh, Super Eight stuff, oh, cool. and 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 uh, they have like a you know a yearly 
event where they show off all their their movies made this way with it with a community in oh, Harrisonburg. Awesome. I know yeah, there's something pretty, like that in Calgary too, but I don't. I've never gone to it. Yeah. So I just wondered whether or not I could refer to those as real. Of course, yeah. You can make, you can make real movies on any camera that you want. Um, and, and pictures, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. The camera is not actually all that important. Right. So I think that's going to actually segue nicely into what we want to talk about today. Absolutely. Here, let's make the segue about um, when you're on the road mm-hmm. and you're packing your camera bag, that uh, I end up with this inclination to take most of the photos on my iPhone. If I don't think hard enough about it, I'll just keep pulling my iPhone out. And then I have to think, okay, no, I want this to turn out. I brought, I brought all this other gear for a reason. (laughs) Open up your bag and take a real photo. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, what a dilemma. So when you travel, Mm -hmm. what, um, what's the purpose usually is it do you end up traveling to do photo work very often or is it usually like a unrelated trip and you just throw a camera in the bag for fun it's kind of somewhere in between really because i mean there are definitely times that i travel that it's uh specifically to go and shoot some things so it just depends on what what the uh you know what the environment i'm walking into mm-hmm. and uh whether or not there's going to be a lot of shooting opportunity a lot of times you know it's just going on vacation to visit family or whatever and you know like well this kind of environment is available to me while i'm there so do i want to take advantage of that um and try to make some photos or you know am i just going to spend time with family i think a really big part of it is what you're going to end up doing with the photos i find it has it completely shapes the way that i'm shooting Oh, totally. Like if I, if I'm, you know, thinking, okay, well, hopefully I can go and get some decent stock photos while I'm there. Yeah. I want to take something that pleases me in terms of image quality, because, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with iPhones for that. Mm. We know plenty of people that take better iPhone pictures than most people take with the best possible digital camera. So it's really, it's about how you use it. And I know how I use my iPhone and it's just not as impressive as the way I use my DSLR in my opinion. So, you know, it's like I would, I like the iPhone. I love taking pictures with it, but um, the way that I take it is like, I try to look at my iPhone as being um, a tool to capture like the moment as it is when I'm there. I always have this mental shift when I start looking at my iPhone photos later, once they are in Lightroom. So the way that I work with my phone is I kind of once or twice a year, just do a Lightroom dump of all the photos Mm -hmm. on the phone. Right. Because usually I don't need them on the computer. I can do everything, getting them out to where they need to be directly from, um, from the phone. So then when I do that dump and I start looking through everything that came in and you see the quality on a bigger screen, mm-hmm. I, I, it kind of fills me with regret sometimes. I'm like, th- I thought this photo was amazing and it looked beautiful on Instagram. And now I'm looking at it at just four by six and it's mushy and there's not a lot of detail. And it's not, it's not that it's a worse photo, but you can't do nearly as much with it in the long run, or it's just that I wish it had more to it. I wish it didn't have like the technical limitations that it does have that Mm -hmm. you, even if you set it as a desktop background on your iMac, it would start to pull apart a little bit. You'd start to see the noise and the the lack of sharpness. Yeah. I mean, as far as the images being useful, it's, it's very limited in the end. Well, and since most of our uses are online, Mm -hmm. the biggest thing you do on your computer usually is set your background. (laughs) <laughs> there's there's not many computer uses that get very big and for 
that kind of stuff. iPhones, yeah, they totally meet all those needs, but mm-hmm. I hate when I don't take that extra second to pull up my camera. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Or to have the depth of latitude, the, so that my, this is a really nice photo, but my skies are completely blown out. They're all mm-hmm. white. And if I'd shot this on an SLR, I'd still have detail in the clouds or, you know, there, there would, there would be more to it. Right. There wouldn't be all that flare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Purple flare. That, that iPhone flare, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, not that sexy in mm-hmm. my opinion, yeah. but it's really appealing being able to immediately edit and immediately do something like I also get, I have mood swings, I guess, because then sometimes I'm like, why am I ever pulling out this big camera? Nothing gets posted. All the photos I took on the big camera are still just sitting on the computer from the last trip that we took un- right. unedited. Nothing's <laughs> happened. And we've already posted from every single place that we went along the trip on Instagram. So what good are these? <laughs> Why am I doing this? this? Like, what's the point? Yeah. And so I think that that destination of the image is a really big part of it. Uh, for I'll talk about what we end up doing. So a lot, mm-hmm. we're, we're shooting for Anya's blog a lot during it. So there'll be like outfit photo stops along the way. So we mm-hmm. have, even if you think most women pack a lot of luggage, we got to quadruple <laughs> that because we need a new outfit for every uh, hotel. <laughs> and, and those are going to, those ones will get posted because it's her blog is work and it's going to go there. And that is more photos of, um, you know, it's more about the clothing and the location is a bonus. Mm-hmm. Then the other place is stock. So, you know, we would upload stuff to stocks. So you want to make sense. That can be a little bit, I, I am not a travel photographer. I don't think right. of things that way. Mm-hmm. I don't look for big scenery to be the focus. If I, you know, if I come across and it's beautiful, I'll, I'll do my best to capture it. But uh, it's not what our portfolio is about, especially not a stock portfolio. It's mostly portraits right. and people. And when you're traveling and you don't know anybody except each other, um, you're a little limited in, in what you can shoot. So we'll end up like with pictures of each other. And a few of those might make sense as stock photos, but I actually have kind of a hard time shooting stock while we travel. Yeah. I guess it's outside of your, you know, whatever your comfort zone is in terms of what you feel represents you professionally yeah. in that, in that marketplace. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like it, it, it's kind of like when a portraitist decides that they're going to start shooting food and they don't really, you know, they're trying to apply what they know on the one study to the, to the other one without really delving into what makes a nice food photograph versus right. a nice portrait. So it's just, you know, sometimes you're just working outside of your area of focus and it doesn't make sense to try to do that on, on a professional level. Yeah. You know, you can do it for fun, but like when you're trying to think, well, I'm going to put this on my Stocksy account like that. Well, but other people do it so well. I mean, we can talk about Kevin Russ quite a bit, who mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, friend of the show. I don't know if he's listened to it. He's probably is but a friend of Stocksy. And, <laughs> Does he have time? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not. He's a guy that is on the road every moment of his life, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've known him for a while. He was on iStock Photo before that. So he's always had this stock career, but lately, at one point he shifted from shooting people. He was shooting like all these hipster portraits mm-hmm. that were really cool. He's from Portland and it was right while that look was getting big and he really captured it in an awesome way. And then all of a sudden he got in his truck and started to drive um, by himself Mm -hmm. and has captured a lot of America at this point, mostly with his iPhone. 
Yeah. Well, didn't he totally ditch the DSLR? Well, I don't think he's ditched. I know he owns it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how often he pulls it out lately, but um, almost all of it is is posted from his phone. I mean, he works with VSCO a lot now. Mm-hmm. Like his journal's really active and, uh, he, um, yeah, he's, he's an interesting example of it. And he's capturing stuff that is sellable and is marketable everywhere he goes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because he has an eye for it that, uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't have, we all, you can't have an eye for everything, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think this, there could be a big conversation just about specialization. Mm-hmm. Like, how all the benefits of just focusing on what you are good at or what you want to be good at or being focused instead of trying to do everything. Everything. Yeah. And that's, that's a trap for stock photographers because so many of us, you know, we, you know, we want to have a portfolio that will sell every month throughout the year. And so it's really tempting to, jump on this bandwagon or that one just because you want to keep your sales going. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the, the trick is, is carving your own niche and, you know, making something really special from it. That's what's going to get you through the year. Yeah. Well, everybody needs to be able to point back at like, it's that guy that, or that girl that shoots this, like they only mm-hmm. have one slot in their brain for you. There's, uh, Merlot man was saying it's like three, there's one bite for each person. Like you, you remember one thing about them and that's all there's room for it. Cause you got 10,000 other people that you barely remember and they're going to walk away and think like that guy that shoots food. Uh, but he's always standing on his head or like, you know, <laughs> the, the, the guy that shoots on an eight by 10 film camera or mm-hmm. right. Like there's one, there's only going to be one thing. So you should make it count. And I'm so terrible at living by this. Our portfolio is not is kind of all over the place. I'm shooting video. I'm shooting stills. I'm shooting stock. I'm shooting commercial. Uh, I'm not good at living by this at all. But well, I understand that it's a good uh, philosophy. Yeah. And I, I think that that's actually just kind of, that's that's the plight of being a professional stock photographer right? is that no matter how, you know, like, okay, so this somewhat negates what I just said about a niche, but like with stock, I think you have to pick at least one or two to three specialties and like have them tiered. So like, this is your main focus, you know, say like, uh, my wife and I focus a lot on food and we take that to both stock and also, um, to professional levels. So that has to be a very high level of importance in terms of what I'm presenting. Um, you know, and then my personal focus that's not, has nothing to do with her is, is portraiture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love doing it. I, I, I think that I, I have some level of skill in it. So like, I'm, I'm happy to show that in my portfolio. Like I also just like to do street photography, take pictures of, of weird stuff that I see, but that's like the third level. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm using to represent myself. I'm happy to have it in my portfolio because I need to have some variety. Well, I'm going to steer this a little back to traveling because I want to say so much about the the specialization thing. Mm -hmm. I I just wrote it down, making a note, talk about specialization. Yeah, we need to to have that conversation. Yeah. We should stop recording and uh, do the the specialization episode and then come back to the travel episode. (laughs) Nah, uh, I think it all plays in because, um, yeah. you know, when we're thinking about 
what we're going to take with us. All right. So we have to consider like, well, what's the job? Is it a job? Yeah. Well, you can always call it a job. I like, I have a client's uh, collection in Lightroom and this is where I put all the stuff for every client, but clients are us too. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you're the client and sometimes the client is uh, your family and you're going to make a photo album for them. So mm-hmm. today I call them the client. Okay. I don't know. That's how it's, it's a very, just a practical detail of how I organize it. But like, it's, it's um whether you're posting to Instagram or you're posting to a personal blog or to somewhere you're selling photos or you're going to deliver it to a client. If you consider them all equally important, I think you have a bit of an advantage. I think you'll be a little more likely to follow through maybe, or um, you can keep the same structure of organization, even for your personal work. That makes sense. I like to think of it that way. It doesn't always work out that way. But. Well, that's a good way to think of it. Cause then you're at least li- more likely to actually follow through. Yeah. Cause it's not, you know, when it keeps the same level of importance, then you still have the, the drive to, to go back and make sure that it gets done as opposed to where, you know, if you're just thinking of it from a family perspective, it's really easy just to be like, well, I'm going to do that eventually. Right. Yeah. They'll forgive me if I'm a week late Yeah, or two months late Yeah, or it's been two years. <laughs> Well, it's hard too because you know when you're thinking about it like that. Family is obviously the most important thing, but being part of a family doesn't pay your bills. Yeah. So well, you know, it's, do you find that I find that family projects often end up getting pushed off the most because they're sort of also the most forgiving. They're yeah. right around you, and like you can tell them every day, like, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, I'm working on that like Christmas album, but. I got all these things. And when it's an employer, it's a lot harder to make those same excuses. Oh yeah. A lot harder. Yeah. So where do you end up posting stuff when you go on a trip? Like what, what are all the, all the places that things end up for you? Well, you know, so this, this is where it gets hard because like, I, I really, I really, really wanted to have a, uh, an active Flickr account that just documented like musings. Mm -hmm. I went here and I did this and this is what I, how I saw it. Cause it's not, maybe some of those images are appropriate for stock, but the majority of them are not. And you know, that doesn't yeah. mean I don't like them and I don't want to show them. Um, but I found that, that I had a hard time actually managing it just because of time. Mm. Yeah. Flickr is kind of a good in between of, it's not portfolio work, no, but it becomes a portfolio as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And <clears throat> Flickr is just one of the platforms that's like this. I also think that Tumblr can be used in that way and 500 PX. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, smug mug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a few different places. Oh, the, well, the new VSCO stuff, their journals. Sure. Sure. Um, there's all sorts of places that. that, yeah, you just kind of, it's more of a dump, but it's, it's all good stuff. It's all good work, but you're just dumping the things that aren't going to be representing you for the next 10 years. They represent the last couple months. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, I think it's still important. It's still every bit as important to edit those shoots in a way that shows that you're actually thinking about it. Yeah. Well, and I think doing that edit is a lot of what will make the photos interesting in the long run. Like think about sitting in front of your parents' slideshows after their vacation. And when there's, they just have a thousand bulk photos of every single thing they saw. Mm -hmm. It's so much less interesting than look, we picked the most beautiful sunsets and the most interesting characters that we saw on this trip. Yeah. And here's, here's 20 or 30 of them you absorb it so much more when you're not overwhelmed and just doing that edit can make your photos look so much better. Yeah. I think that that aspect of editing is actually really under, I'm going to write this down. This is a great, this is a great material. 
episode <laughs> on editing. <laughs> <laughs> and let's let's make a clear distinction because I think that um, in our world there's there's often a misunderstanding of the differences between what editing is and what processing is. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have a better language for that? Selecting. There's, there's different types of editing, right? So there's there's the editing of of a series, and what that is is picking the very best. That's what you're doing. You're, you're by editing, you're selecting. Yes, you you got that right. But like, um, there's also when you're processing, you might make edits on the on that process on the photo, mm-hmm. right? So it's easy for people to to then just think of their processing as editing. But really, it's it comes down to how you processed it. Right. It's it's kind of like a second tier editing. It's not the same editing. Okay. So yeah. using that definition, mm-hmm. editing your photos is incredibly important. Yes. Um, I, like yeah, it can really turn. It could turn complete amateur's work into something beautiful. I think that if you had a professional editor sit down with anyone, any Joe Schmo with a point and shoot and look at all their work, select the best stuff and crop them a lot. Probably a lot of cropping would also be involved. Mm-hmm. You could turn it into a bit of a portfolio. Sure. That cropping l- and perspective changes. <laughs> and lighting changes. And- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we editing or are we processing? <laughs> yeah. I think that if people are shooting outside, <laughs> you know, if they're in an environment where they don't have to control their camera too much and mm-hmm. the auto settings are going to work. It's not that hard to capture a lot of great stuff. And what's really hard is to see the greatness inside of it and yeah. then present that to anyone else in a way that they'll find interesting. Excellent point. That's probably the best thing you can do with uh, a set of travel photos is actually spend the time turning them into something that people would want to look at. Okay, so let's let's break this into into two sections, okay? So there's the photos that you take when you're just traveling for like vacation or for pleasure, all right? So let's say pleasure traveling. Then there's work traveling. All right. So mm-hmm. um if we're in, let's let's start with pleasure because it's it's just kind of where we're, we've been, I think, in this conversation. So um you know, what are you most likely to take? You know, like, okay, so a destination that I go to every year is I go to see my family in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I'm usually there for about a week, and I know I'm going to go in the mountains and I'm going to hike around. And so that's that's usually like where my mind is like, I'm, I'm going to be taking photos in this environment. Which cameras do I want? Mm-hmm. Um, so, in that kind of context, you know, I've, I've made the wrong decision so many times now that I, I have a better idea of, yeah. of what actually works because like I, i I struggle, you know, cause I have so many cameras and so many ways that I want to experiment, especially with something like this. Cause this is not, this is for fun. This isn't, you know, this, this does not affect my, my bottom line in any way that's measurable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for you. So, this is Cameron time. Yeah, exactly. This is just me experimenting and exploring. And, you know, if something great comes of it, awesome. But is it going to change the way I work? No, not at all. Yeah. Um, so I think the most important thing to consider when you're going on a trip like this is like, what can you carry comfortably? Mm-hmm. Um, I've made the terrible mistake of bringing too many bodies or too many lenses on so many occasions that um, it took a lot of the fun out of it because, you know, hiking up 
to some of these spots where it just a struggle. Well, do you get, do you ever hit that point where you get to the perfect spot that this was the goal of today? This is why we came here. Mm-hmm. And you kind of feel like, ah, I don't even want to open my bag. That lens is no, so totally. Like, I already got this lens on here. I just don't even want to change it. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, you're 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 struggling to catch a breath, or yeah. like you know, maybe it's not as as epic as you expected mm-hmm. it to be. You know, there's so many things, but. Um, this is why, like, for this kind of a thing, this is why the Fuji X100S or T or whatever. Oh, yeah. This is why. Because, like, you know, in yeah. almost all of the time, 35 millimeter is just a very, like, great focal length for for this kind of environment. It's just like using your iPhone, you know, when you're hiking well, around. I don't think it's the fixedness of the lens that is the most important, though. I think no. it's the, uh, yeah, the size of the body, right? It's the size and the comparable quality for size. That's the right. amount of punch that you get mm-hmm. for, for weight. Which is... All, basically all of these mirrorless cameras right now can mm-hmm. handle it. Yeah. Right? Like but all it's those, also... All those new Sonys, all the Panasonics, yeah. all the Olympus, mm-hmm. they're all really awesome. Yeah, and light. Yeah. Yeah, but the Fuji, um, and and this is taste, just purely taste. There's obviously a ton of options, but um, for me, that's what it is, is is the Fuji. So yeah, this last time I went, I still took the DF because I was thinking like, you know what? This Nikon DF is still like relatively light. Mm -hmm. It's half the weight of a normal professional DSLR. And uh, so I'm thinking, you know, that's great. But like, you know, then I think about what lenses that, that I would possibly bring. So am I going to bring my my Sigma 35-1.4? Why would I bring that if I'm also bringing the Fuji? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so if I'm going to bring something longer, it's we're definitely going to be getting into a heavier bag. Mm-hmm. What would be your longer option? Like a well, 70 to 200? <laughs> definitely not considering that. <laughs> What I ended up doing is I ended up bringing uh, my small Nikon 50 1.4, which is, you could throw that in the bag and not notice. Yeah. Um, and then I also brought my uh, my 105 um, portrait lens just just for a little bit of reach, but it is mm-hmm. it is considerably heavy. So anyway, like I had those two lenses and the DF and then also the um, the Fuji. And I'm... I also, so I had room for some water, you know, which is really important when you're hiking in the summer. Um, and it was still too heavy. <laughs> I was still miserable. Like by mm-hmm. the time I got, you know, cause now we took an aggressive hike, you know? Um, but by the time I got up there, I was just like, man, I don't even want to take a picture. <laughs> There's times I start to feel though, like each thing that I add to my bag, mm-hmm. as long as I brought like a, as long as I go over a certain level, that's a body with a lens on it and an extra lens and they're all sizable. And then whatever other junk goes in a backpack. Um, I, by the end of the day, I'm annoyed anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, then I don't notice the next one or two lenses that goes into it. And then there's like a breaking point where I just can't handle it for a whole day. And so challenges that we end up having is sometimes when we're traveling, we'll, we're both kind of shooting in the day. So we kind of need two kits. But the secret that I love, I don't know what Nikon has in this area, is the we don't Canon's 40 millimeter pancake 2.8. Yeah, I, I knew where you were going. You don't have anything like that? No. Oh, tragic. It's, yeah, if it's you don't own this lens, go buy this lens today. It's the cheapest. I think it's the cheapest. Is it cheaper than the 50? It might be. 
and um, much better build quality than the 50 millimeter 1.8. Incredibly small, extremely light, and as good of image quality as anything else, really. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's, because it's 2.8 as well, like it's as sharp as the, I feel like it's as sharp as the Sigma 50 most of the time, but you like without the depth of field, like the Sigma really excites me because of what it looks like when it's wide open. But this, if it's slightly stopped down at all, it kind of starts to match everything else. Right. 40, 40 millimeters is a perfect balance. Um, you know, it's between 35 and 50. So you can kind of, sh- you can sh- shoot some kinds of portraits with it. You can shoot, wide-ish angle like it's so useful and you're not sacrificing anything it's got good autofocus too that's another thing that the cheap canons don't have the 35 Mm 2.0 and the 50 millimeter 1.8 their focus rings are really bad just like (laughs) you can hear the gears grinding oh um oh that i'm sorry to hear that about the nikons it's it's so great and it's a new lens too it didn't exist for a long time so it's a new option but well newish yeah, just a couple of years. Well, relative to, you know, I know that like the 51.4 or 1.8, those are like over a decade old at this point. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so, it's interesting because I, I just want to, you know, you, you mentioned about how, you know, with the Sigma 50, you know, the depth of field looks really great when you're when you're fairly wide open and then it starts to look about like what you'd expect from most quality lenses mm-hmm. once, you, once you stop down. So that's not, that doesn't mean that it's like any less than it's just, no, the same no, no. It's, it's very good. It's as good as every other very good lens. Yeah, exactly. And you know so, what, if you measure it, I'm sure there is, there definitely is a difference. Even if you just compared like real side by sides. Yeah. I'm sure there are differences happening here, but mm-hmm. they're not important for daily use. You won't find them when you're not pixel peeping. So the reason that this, this was uh, a curiosity when, when you said it, cause the, the other lens that I took on this travel uh, excursion was that 105, which is a really weird lens. So it's it's a 105 portrait is that lens. Soft thing you're talking about? Well, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's the title of it. It's a 105 millimeter f2 with defocus control. So and, and you know, this is not a tilt shift, right? That's like what no, no. came to mind when you said it because I'm not familiar with this technology. It is it is not a tilt shift. What it does is you can change the shape of your bokeh. <laughs> All right, and you know, like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> that, you know? Yeah, so, that's, what I, that's what I was thinking. It's uh, it's it's a curiosity that, that I think that ninety eight percent of the people who've ever bought this lens have never figured out exactly what how to use it in a, in a way that's appealing. Is it like the craft thing when you like cut out stars from a piece of cardboard and then put it in front of your lens and all the bokeh become little stars? Um, it's like a cookie sort of, Yeah, you know, like I think that, that that's, that's sort of where the, that's the technology know, they're, they're going. Yeah. So what it is, is that you can, um, if you're using it the way that I think you're supposed to use it and, and mind you, there's no guide for this lens. There's nobody wrote like any kind of guide that said, this is how you shoot with this lens. Yeah. Like this is something that like you just either figure out or you've, you know, somebody else figured out and you happen to read about it. Um, but there's no official guide. Um, but what happens is, so say I'm shooting a portrait at, um, you know, and I really, you know, I really want to make sure that, you know, the, the nose and the ears are all like sharp and focused. Right. But then something in the background's just, you know, just a little bit too in focus and, and, you know, just distracting. So if I, um, if I turn that, you know, so say like I'm shooting this at, 
at five six. So if I turn the ring that's on this thing mm-hmm. um, to the defocus control towards the the you know and there's a there's a front and a background and a backside right. So if I if I want it to affect the the, the background, I turn it to to B and then match it up to five point six right. So what this does is it it, it kind of makes the background a little bit more of a bokeh like a bokeh mm-hmm. even though i'm shooting stopped down a bit right so it actually softens the background without like mm-hmm. sharp uh, without losing the sharpness in the foreground yeah so if you use this thing completely wrong which seems then, likely based on your explanation oh yeah most people do and so if you use it completely wrong it has it has a, a, a you know a, a really weird effect that's basically equates to um, like a soft filter, like Vaseline, right? Um, and personally, the, the, this is a kind of effect that I think is is just total crap 99% of the time. Like when I see yeah. a soft filter on a, on a portrait, I'm just like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it, it looks it, like the, the 40s in filmmaking when they couldn't Photoshop women's skin to be smooth, so they would Vaseline up the lens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Either that or the eighties when, you know, they just, people started buying, uh, you know, soft filters that, mm-hmm. that made everything look cloudy and like dreamy. Yeah. But you did a photo that was really great on this the other day that you, can you, can you send me that, that so I can put it in show notes and everybody can see what we're talking about? Yes, I will. So, and, and the reason, so this was a, this is what we call a happy accident. <laughs> and, um, the reason that, that it worked out this way is because, um, I was using really hard light. Mm-hmm. And so the, the combination of the extremely hard light with this effect ended up looking really cool where so much of the time it doesn't. Anyway, I'm getting off topic, but we'll, we'll show that just so people can see the weirdness of this. Cause it is it a is weird, really weird and neat. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird thing. So, but, uh, the, Wait, the, can, just before we're done with that lens, mm-hmm. can it be sharp? Like you can you just make the, it a normal sharp lens. Yeah, so that's that's what I wanted. It. That's really what I wanted to talk about was that like this lens at f two, um, it doesn't perform nearly as nice as you want to. So it's kind of the opposite of um, of like what we what you get from the Sigma because with the Sigma, you know, you shoot it wide all the way open, and the results are just shockingly good. Yeah, there's no chromatic aberrations. Like it, it's just clean and gorgeous and like. Hard to even define the way that it that it looks, but um, with the with the one hundred and five, I mean, it's a portrait lens, so you you kind of expect it to do something like amazing at wide open, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that it just doesn't. It's always disappointed me, and uh, so then I I figured out where I really like this lens, um, and that's shooting at f eight. Because, you know, when you're, that's where it's really, really, really strong. And the amount of uh, detail and contrast that you get from it at that point is just, it's just amazing. Hmm. It's an amazing lens. So that's when I really like to use it. So sometimes if I'm, you know, if I go out and I'm shooting um, like landscape type of thing and I'm at a distance, I know I can stop down and get some really just beautiful shots. Well, and a 105 isn't maybe what most people think of first as a landscape lens. How oh, find, hell how do no. You find that? Uh, well, that's the thing is that sometimes you want to, um, you know, condense a scene. You know, you see mm-hmm. something specific. So most of the time I'm, I'm just shooting a th- at 35, you know, and I'm getting the, the wider shot and trying to figure out that composition. And then I, you know, I, I catch something, 
Oh, that little part right there. And so I focus in on it with the 105. And then, you know, if I stop down, I get this, um, all this depth that goes all the way through that. And it can just be stunning, you know? Mm. And that's really, and it's, it's, this is the thing, right? When you're going to go out and, and shoot like this, you really do have to, to, to pre-visualize what the kinds of scenes that you want to capture, you know, otherwise you would never pull this lens out. Well, ever. Does this mean, are you saying you bring this pretty often with you then or? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird. Like it's, it seems like the, the antithesis of the point of the lens. And, and sometimes that's what makes things interesting hmm. is, is breaking the rule. Um, so what, what does that mean is in your bag on an average trip? Let's say you're packing tomorrow to go to Tahiti. You put a, a 105 millimeter blurry lens in yeah. there for uh, <laughs> landscapes. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the... That's, no, this is actually one of Nikon's sharpest lenses. Oh, okay. Yeah. It just has the, the ability <laughs> to do a weird soft focus thing, if you want. You know, it reminds me, the equivalent for Canon, I feel like, is similar to the... Well, not the soft focus part, but the, the 135mm 2.0 for Canon mm-hmm. is so perfect. It's another one of their excellent prime options. It's under a thousand dollars. It's one of their cheapest L series lenses. One of their sharpest lenses. It's 2.0 mm-hmm. and fast. Um, I'll just throw a quick plug in there for it. Cause it's uh really like it. Although it, it doesn't see a lot of use now that we, once we went to the 70 to 200, it sees a lot less use, but it's still a really great lens and really affordable. Yeah. Okay. So since you did that, then I'm going to have to mention that Nikon also makes this exact same defocus control lens in 135. That's, that's, that's much closer. (laughs) So they actually make two of them. They make, they they make the 105 and the 135. So, yeah. Okay. The 135 is, is supposed to be even better. Well, okay. So since I can't get a straight answer out of you, I'm going to describe my backpack. (laughs) (laughs) There is no straight answer for me. Uh, well, and yeah, there isn't a straight answer for me either. We, um, we pack very differently for each trip. There's different requirements. I, I think a lot about how much I'm going to be walking around. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's a trip that we're mostly going to be, you know, like at the hotel, then we'll like drive somewhere, take photos and drive back. I'll pack mm-hmm. a bit more. Um, if we're going to really be one of those cities where you're on the transit all day, like if you're in New York or London where you're um, not going to be driving and you're going to be schlucking around a huge uh, backpack all day, then I'm going to be a lot more careful with how much goes in there. But a normal kit would look like one body with a 40 millimeter on it. And that gets used for all the, I'd say kind of the travel-y stuff, like street photography. Mm -hmm. And then if we're doing blog photos and portraits and stuff, a lot of the time we bring the 70 to 200. Mm -hmm. Um, on on we've we've done both in last year we we went to korea and japan so that was a lot of traveling and instead we just brought the 85 millimeter 1.8 nice and uh, that's another i really enjoy that lens there's a lot of nice lenses out there i feel like every <laughs> lens i'm going to mention is great <laughs> no well, but they're not all great. It, the ones i'm not bringing <laughs> aren't great yeah um compared to okay well, here's one that's not great we we also have the 35 millimeter 1.4 from canon which is L series and big and heavy and beautiful, mm. but it's not worth the weight. Uh, it's, it's much 
it's way too heavy and isn't sharp enough. Um, maybe if it was the Sigma 35, it'd feel different. Um, since we also usually have the Sigma 50, we have a really sharp prime lens, like normal prime lens, and and mm-hmm. we choose the 50 instead of the 35, I guess. But uh, that, yeah, that the, it's not always worth it to have the the big, heavy, high quality lens. Uh, right. And if you're a Canon shooter, the 40 millimeter is a perfect option for it. Um, then yeah, the 70 to 200 that, that does a lot of the work really. Like it's just so versatile that we know it just gets things done. Everything's going to be in focus. It's heavy, but it does so, so much. Um, I wouldn't want to go hiking with it. I wouldn't bring it up a mountain, but in a city it, it, um, is really useful. And so usually mm-hmm. there'll be two bodies and one has that wider lens and the other has that longer lens. And hopefully that's all that's coming around in the day. If, if we're not shooting things for work as much, then one of the bodies will be a film body. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, I've got the Elan seven uh, Canon Elan seven N uh, that is the a film camera I've had since college and works really well. It's cheap on eBay and we can put all of our same glass on there. So yeah, that was my next question. So you 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 take the same lens configuration. Yeah, exactly. Uh, usually that, yeah, usually that'll have, that's a great one to have the 40 on it or, mm-hmm. or a 50 because with film, I'm not sure what I'm going to take a photo of. Like there isn't anything consistent. It's much more the like, Oh, that's interesting. And mm-hmm. so that might be something far away or wide or close. And so, so a normal lens kind of needs to be there. And I also find since I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to be making money off of the film photos. I don't want to, um, Oh, snap, I don't want to snap, resent. Snap. Well, no, that's part of it. I don't want to resent having it in my bag mm-hmm. because if I put a big lens on it, if I have the, the Sigma fit, a heavy lens, any heavy lens on it, it's going to be frustrating. And I only pull it out five or 10 times in the whole day. So mm-hmm. I don't want to leave it at home because it was too heavy. So I try to keep it light. Uh, and then sometimes instead, uh, if, if that's just not working out to bring that SLR film body, now I've got the Contax T2i, which is just a point-and-shoot mm-hmm. film camera, and that's what I'll pull out for the special little f- film moments. Is it and just we- a point-and-shoot? <laughs> it is, yeah. I It's a very well-built point-and-shoot, but mm-hmm. um, after using it more, it's, it is not the same as the SLR. It's, it's not well, no. as reliable or as sharp. Is that a rangefinder? Um, no, 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 it's autofocus. It's like no. center point autofocus. So that's another thing is the way that you shoot is a little bit limited. Yeah. I mean, it, it's very good. It's, you're going to get very good snapshot feeling photos out of it, but it, uh, it won't feel the same. It, um, it's riskier to have the depth of field on it. Like I, I rarely use it at 2.8 because I can't preview the autofocus in any way. So I have no confidence that it shot at the same thing. So it, I use it really differently than the, um, than the, than any of the SLR photos. Right. But part of what I like about film is that snapshot look of it too. So mm-hmm. I don't mind. Um, I, I really enjoy using it. And we both oh, yeah. went through a bit of a journey on finding those this year. Um, both of us got the Olympus XA, mm-hmm. which is a rangefinder. It's yes. the, cheapest smallest rangefinder ever made as far as i know and mine broke unfortunately and didn't work out but you've been you've been having good luck with yours 
Yeah, I love it actually. Yeah. And and that it's actually, you know, it's um it's new for me. So, it's relatively. So it it's, you know, it hasn't had a lot of travel time, but I have taken it like okay, so I, I gave you like a, a more of a, a nature perspective of of a vacation travel experience. Right. Um, so, um, more recently I did take that to New York city and used it in the street and like, wow, man, the coolest. And, you know, it's definitely not a point and shoot. So it's a range finder. So like you do know where the focus is, but it's difficult to use. Mm -hmm. You have to get used to it. Yeah. It's Um, a little slow for each, for each photo. You have to take a moment. Yeah. So your photos, so in terms of it being like, um, good for snapshots, it's not. You know, because it's you have to make deliberate photos with it. Um, but those deliberate photos that you make with that are, you know, they still have that snapshot f- look and feel to them. Yeah, just on a like uh, in a really extremely cool level. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you, but it's it is a challenging camera, which is why I like it. Yeah, I I really recommend it if you can find it cheap, which is not yeah. what happened to me. I I was kind of obsessing over it for a while and really excited about it, and eventually spent a bit more on eBay for it. And then it's way more disappointing when it breaks because it's not, it's a consumer camera. Mm-hmm. It's not made for professional use. So now that it's 30, 40 years old, um, some of the plastic parts yeah, are a little more fragile. So yeah, uh, it's, Whereas it's the, the it's contacts is saying, yeah, yeah. And the contacts is all metal and yeah. made for professionals, even though it's a point and shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, so, okay. So, just as a buyer's guide, like the the XA, like if you if you find it out there and it's more than a more than ninety nine dollars, like go keep looking. Yeah, yeah, because I, then I talk to the people that pay like five dollars for it. <laughs> you know, they get it at a garage sale for free. Yeah, and uh, that's Happy frustrating day. to me. Yeah, and it works. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So yeah, point and shoot. Okay, and then also sometimes we'll. We'll mix other things up, but they end up being a the G16 as well can end up in the bag. Mm. Um, this is because of a need we have of, of posting stuff kind of live, and the G16 has Wi-Fi on it, so we use that when we want something better than an iPhone, especially that needs a real flash. So if we're shooting indoors and we're going to be uploading stuff right away, you can get a really bright, um, clean flash look off of the G16 transfer it over to your phone and stick it up on Instagram immediately. So th- that'll be occasionally brought around. And I really like that camera. It's really fun. Um, it's not an important camera in our kit. It's very optional, but it fills that specific niche for us. And I think I'm recording on three things. Hopefully one of them gets the message. <laughs> it might happen. quickly or you can just dump that and get the smaller more powerful sony rx 103 <laughs> well i could have done that at the time I, they were both there <laughs> at the time but no I, I like the canon i know it's not it's it's also cheaper it's it, it it's less of an investment in for a point and but shoot what like a hundred dollars cheaper or i don't want to say on the podcast because i'll probably be wrong <laughs> okay um but yeah, even if it's a hundred dollars cheaper, like this is not oh. an important camera in the kit. So I didn't really mind making that sacrifice. I think, I don't know if I were to recommend to somebody else, I'd probably say go for the Sony because it's more exciting. Mm-hmm. It's more, it's more interesting, but it just depends. Well, it's also it's smaller. 
I don't know. They feel about the same to me. Really? Yeah. Have you felt Cl- Sony? Close and <laughs> like close enough to the the main reason for the Sony is the image quality to me. Like it yeah. just it looks really good. That's that's why but, you go. But for it's it. also really small. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I should go take another look. Yeah, I uh, went over to. Uh, this might be my last generation of point and shoot uh, digital. Mm-hmm. It, I, I don't know if it'll make sense anymore soon. Once there is a, once the mirrorless hole gets filled properly for us, we have the <laughs> like I said before with Fuji. Um, can you say what number I have? Uh, yeah, the Fuji EX one because I was trying mm-hmm. to say XE one. Uh, <laughs> the Fuji EX one and it's got all these slowness problems of autofocus and processing and all these things that make me worried about getting a new mirrorless at this point. But once there's a mirrorless that feels perfect, it'll probably be what comes along with us for that sort of, that sort of use. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, what else? I have a Langley bag. That's pretty great. Do you know Langley? Yeah, no. And that's, that's actually where I was hoping that you were going to take this. Cause, uh, I was going to ask, you know, what, what bags do you take when you're traveling for fun? Um, so, you know, you can use whatever camera backpack you want. Mm-hmm. I like Langley. I think they're super cool. Um, and it kind of forces you to stay small. If you like choose a backpack that you feel like you could carry fully loaded. Um, and I also think choose a backpack. Don't choose a one-sided strap bag. I've done that and I've regretted it. <laughs> it's uh, it can just get really awful when when the weight is in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And then also with your backpack, here's a pro tip: is tighten your straps. <laughs> yeah. um, I know all the teenagers like to just let it sag down their back, but that puts so much strain in the all the wrong places. And if you just cinch it right up to your shoulders, um, it'll be a lot more comfortable. But uh, yeah, yeah don't... I remember seeing this bag in uh, when we were yeah. in Victoria. Okay, yeah, they're awesome. They're newish. They're growing really fast. Super cool. Totally waterproof. Well, water very water resistant. Hipster um, approved. Yeah, hipster approved. They have a great inst- Instagram account. Mm-hmm. Um, I like them. And uh, <laughs> but you know, I like it'd them. be it'd be the same thing to use. Uh, a uh, low pro option, just like it. Um, it does not really matter what it looks like, but choose mm. it, the size is what's really important because I think we tend to fill what we have. So if you buy a bigger bag, you're probably just going to keep loading it up. Um, so get a bag that fits your minimum kit that you're going to need for the day. And then don't go any bigger than that. Yeah. Um, totally. And make it a backpack. Then another thing that's on our shopping list um, I really hope to take care of this here is like a bigger rolling bag. Cause a lot of the time right now, if we're packing a, the car for a road trip, so we have a bit more gear, there'll be two backpacks. There'll be the Langley and then a, you know, just another similar low pro backpack. And it's clumsy. I really don't like that. Having things spread across multiple different bags. And then if there's a tripod, there's not really anywhere to strap it to each or either of those. So we're carrying that on its own. And maybe there's just one more lens that fits, so it's got to go in something else. Like, um, I really want to get a big rolling case that can fit a complete kit mm-hmm. to take it to jobs, take it on the road. Um, that's a thing that's kind of missing for us right now. 
but I, I think can be really useful for certain types of travel. I used to have the uh, Pelican case, the, oh, I don't remember the model, the one that is the fits in the overhead. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really great in a lot of ways. It's very it's bomb proof, you know, it's everything proof and very secure for your gear, but it's so heavy that one yeah. time I was boarding a plane and it was so overweight that I had to unload all of the camera gear into backpacks and then fill that, the Pelican case with clothing just oh to God. meet the weight requirements of the airplane. And all of a sudden I'm like, why am I traveling with this? Yeah, that does, that's, that doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing would have been damaged. <laughs> uh, like everything was fine in the backpacks. Like the, the padding is enough. You don't need the bomb proof most of the time. So I ditched Hopefully. the Pelican case. <laughs> now, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you've got bigger problems. Mm-hmm. So now it's all soft cases that are still well protected. Uh, but, but yeah, um, not so much into the Pelican case. What do you use? Well, okay. So <laughs> you're going to hate me. Um, my small bag is the, uh, think tank retrospective, which is a shoulder bag. And oh yeah. So, I, I, I sold that last year. That's what I had until the Langley bag. Yeah. Um, and yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and agree with you and back you up on this. Cause um, that trip I was talking about, about Utah, uh, I had made the, the error of bringing this bag with a DSLR. And, you know, as soon as you bring more than one lens, you know, like it just gets really uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, you know, you're, you're constantly having to shift it from shoulder to shoulder. Uh, cause one shoulder gets tired the other, and then you skip it to the other one and you know, you're, you're fighting with it and, and both know, shoulders end up being in more pain <laughs> than they, than they would be with a backpack by the end of the day somehow. Yeah. I mean, you know, like the reason that I like shoulder bags, um, for certain stuff, like if I'm in the city, I love shoulder bags. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as I'm not carrying too much. Um, and also, you know, if I'm shooting events, like I love a shoulder bag cause I can easily get to stuff to change things out. Um, yeah, but to take it like on any, any time you're, you know, you're going to be doing a hike or something like that. Like, forget it, get a backpack. I have a backpack yeah. actually. Um, it's also a think tank and I never use it cause it's so big that it's like ridiculous. And it has like yeah. this, uh, this, uh, swing around fanny pack kind of thing where you can put a, you know, put a couple, uh, at least one or two lenses into that thing. And, you know, you don't have to take your backpack off. You can just swing in that part around mm-hmm. and then change it out and then swing it back. Um, but it's flawed because when you're, uh, it's, you know, it's like the, it's Velcro Velcro is what keeps it from, from moving all around all the time. And so sometimes when you're putting the backpack on and off, uh, that Velcro is not strong enough to hold, the weight of your big lens mm-hmm. and it's actually have had it come crashing out before. And so, you know, Oh my that, God. Yeah. So that's that your note. It's right. Uh, well, sort of. So like, you know, I had my uh, Nikon 24 to 70 in there and it had a, uh, it had a filter on, on the front lens. Oh, good. And, um, so the, the filter broke. Um, and then there was just the, the slightest little ding on the, uh, the lens body. So like I got lucky that the, the filter actually took the brunt of the, of the fall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I never wanted to use the bag again, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, Oh, I can't trust it. You know? Cause like I had, had it locked when that happened. So yeah, I actually have that problem with the low pro as well, that, uh, 
well, no, it's totally a different problem, but of not trusting it, that mm-hmm. you need to zip it up a certain way. And if you don't have it, then it can just fly open when you try to pick it up. And that risk, since it's happened, it terrifies me every time I pick it up, even if I know it's okay. Yeah. And it just makes you want to use the bag less. I like having a, the, the, the Langley bag, you, it can't fall apart. Even if you accidentally left it undone, it's really hard for everything to dump out on the ground. So, yeah. See, I think that um, finding, you know, a really useful bag for every occasion that you need one is actually a lot more challenging than finding the right lens. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. I, I, well, I buy, I've bought a lot of bags over the years, and very too. few of them have really worked out. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like for most things, I'm really not pleased. Mm-hmm. Um, however, for um, doing, you know, like any kind of professional work, so I have one of the think tank. Uh, yeah, like I got really into think tank. Actually, I bought them all on the same day. <laughs> all the bags. Be- yeah, all of my think tank bags. I bought them all on the same day because the uh, we had this this local store, Pen Camera, that was going out of business, and uh, you know they were having these clearance sales, and so cool. I got all three of them for like this ridiculous price. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was worth it, you know, in that moment, um, you know. But now it's a couple years later, and you know I've used the bags extensively and and had a chance to to decide what I like and don't like about them. And there's quite a lot to like yeah. and not like, but um, for doing jobs, I have the uh, the airport thing. Tank. Which one is that? How do you see what they what they call that thing? That's the one that fits in your overhead. Like that's the measurement that usually really matters. Can you bring this as carry on? Yeah, and that's exactly what this does. It's it's designed so that it can it can be easily transported via airplane. And it's, you know, it's, it's great for doing travel gigs and to be able to take a full kit with me, um, you know, cause it's, you know, for as, as compact as it is, it still fits plenty of stuff. Like I can take, you know, if I need zooms, then I can take, you know, two camera bodies. I can take the 24 to 70 and the 70 to 200 and a 50 millimeter if I want. Yeah. Um, I can still take a, a, a speed light or two, depending on if I want to switch one thing out for another and also my laptop. You know, so it's, it's yeah. a sweet little, yeah, it's a sweet gear. Yeah. That laptop uh, area can be extremely important depending on mm-hmm. your needs as well. Well, I also, I, I sometimes throw some modifiers in there, you know, as long as they're flat, you know, mm-hmm. so be them, uh, you know, some diffusing paper or, you know, yeah. gels or whatever I need. So. I think this is the kind of bag that we're looking at needing next. This is, this is what we're missing. Yeah. I'm really happy with it for what it is. And it's also, it's a backpack. Right. So it's, um, I did not get one of the rolling ones. Like mine is, it's, I got the smallest. Yeah. This is the smallest one that they make. And I find that it's for the way that I shoot, I'm still able to carry everything that I generally need. Mm -hmm. Um, and no problem. You know, I have a, I have a a Pelican case for my, for my lighting as well. So like a bigger one. Yeah. It's huge. It's got um, four alien bees in it, so. Oh, that's pretty big. That, that, mm-hmm. That'd be handy, though. I could also use one of those. I used to, an anecdote I wanted to throw in was that I used to shoot a lot of music festivals. Mm-hmm. So one year I did seven festivals in one year, I think. Um, like Coachella and All Points West when that was happening and mm-hmm. an award show in New York and a 
I don't know, all over the place. There was a lot. And uh, it was kind of with Getty images for most of it. So I was around a lot of the other Getty photographers. And I was shooting sort of differently. I was shooting for the festival, whereas everybody else was there on assignment from Getty. So it was really interesting to see how they worked as basically news shooters. And there's one guy I was working with in New York that was shooting with a Nikon and a zoom lens and no bag. (laughs) And I loved seeing that I'm here with the like two shoulder bags (laughs) carrying two bodies and four zoom lenses. And this guy (laughs) has got one camera and one lens carrying it by hand. And this is his full-time job. And he did great work, you know, because he was comfortable and confident with what, how he was going to approach the day. And you can do that. Like I said, in a previous episode, I did a three months in Europe with a 50 and absolutely nothing else. A couple mm-hmm. extra batteries and memory cards. And if that's what you decide to do, you can do it. Um, well, in some cases, when you, if you decide to do that, you're actually going to make better photos. Yeah. It can be really liberating. Like you walk out the door with just a camera in hand Mm-hmm. Can it there's like confidence that comes with that? Yeah, it's cool. Um, so yeah, sometimes less is more. Oh, uh, yeah, usually. So is, there's you know, comfort is one of those things that's like it's <laughs> some people think it's overrated. I really I disagree, especially as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Let's do, um, Last few minutes here. Mm-hmm. Let's do a new segment and let's call it, uh, what are you into? <laughs> okay. I don't know. If that's what are what you into? Called. Uh, what am I into? Well, what I, I didn't think too hard about what this was going to be. So I'll just do what's at the top of my mind, which is podcasts. Mm-hmm. We are recording one right now. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I listen to too many podcasts. Maybe I'm just flipping <laughs> through my app right now. So the, the main recommendation is uh, the app Overcast. If you're not already using it, it is mm-hmm. one of the newer pod catching applications uh, out there, and it's it's really great. It's the first thing that made me change from the default Apple one, which I'd been using for quite a while. And the biggest advantages really come when you get the paid version. I like the way that it works without it, but if you pay a couple bucks, you get the additional features of um, what's called smart speed and voice boost. Voice boost is the thing that fixes when you have a show that has one guest that's really quiet and you can't quite hear them. And then the other guest is at full volume. It kind of does some automatic leveling that sounds great so that you don't have to be playing with your volume knob between shows. Nice. And then it also has smart speed, which speeds up the overall speed of the episode without playing it any faster. And all it does is it cuts out the spaces between words. So pauses like that just get compressed. Um, and it's a great way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if you're not already listening to this with smart speed, you'll enjoy the show a lot more (laughs) if you download this app. Uh, and yeah, usually I find it ends up playing the episode at about 1.1 to 1.2 times faster. And you don't notice I, I don't really perceive it unless there's music in the show mm-hmm. and it means you can you won't get through that many podcasts in a day. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll just throw out some of my favorites in here. I feel like I'll bring up more and more over time, but like favorite show of all time might be Roderick on the line. That's the first thing I listen to as soon as it comes out, 
which is a hard show to get into about nothing. Merlin Mann and John Roderick just talking. Uh, for learning how to podcast, I really liked the podcaster studio. Helped me get up and running in a lot of ways. It was very informative. And This Week in Tech, I've been listening to since uh, almost since day one. They have a lot of shows, and I I still really like them. It's the reason that I've got a Heil PR40 mic in front of me, because Leo Laporte's my hero, and whatever he uses is what I want to use. <laughs> um, and so many more podcasts that I'll talk about later. What about you? What are you into? Well, uh, this past Christmas, my wife, my amazing wife, bought me a, a new turntable. Hey, that's yeah. a cool thing to be into. Yeah, it's 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 really it's been a wonderful thing because like, you know, first it was it was a struggle because I had a I had a, a an amplifier receiver and I didn't have speakers. So, you know, I was like, okay, now I have this sweet, you know, project debut carbon turntable, which is a nice one. And uh you know, What's I had it a, I'm going to Google the, these so I can see what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, you might want to even put them in the show notes. Um, it's it's the uh, company's called Project, and that's Pro Hyphen Ject, the okay. J. And then uh, the model is uh, the Debut Carbon. And, yeah, uh, I've seen this. I've seen this in real life, and it is very beautiful. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's great. You know, it's a belt drive. Um, so, like, if you're if you're switching between thirty five and or thirty three and and forty five speed, then you got to manually adjust the belt which is mm. you know i think it's i mean it's nerd stuff but i really like it <laughs> well if, if you're interested in a turntable you might not mind getting nerdy about it yeah i mean to me it, it makes you're already putting a lot of work into listening to your music yeah and that's actually you know it's it's something that you know i've, I've been a, a music head as long as i've been alive and so um i realized in past years, because I've had a vinyl collection. I've been make, building my vinyl collection since, you know, I was 15, I think. Um, and, and you're still actively building it now? Or are you yes. buying new records? Well, I just started buying records again. So what I've been doing over the past, you know, maybe four or five years. Well, let me see. It's been about 10 years since I had a turntable that actually worked. And um, so during that time, like, I, I really kind of stopped buying vinyl um, but every now and then it's if, you know, if I went and saw a band that I really liked and, and I knew that they had a record that I really, really love and I knew I wasn't going to, you know, tire of, um, then I'd go and, you know, I'd, I'd pick that up while I was there because I love to support the band like that, you know, especially if they're on yeah, tour. I, those are the only newer records that I bought was at a show. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I just need this. And then I never listened to it. <laughs> yeah. So that was happening. You know, like I was buying these records and knowing that like, you know, well, I can't listen to them, but I already, I already, I can listen to the music. I already have the music, you know, um, but you know, saving it for a special time. So now, you know, that special time has come, but, uh, the first issue is that I needed to get some new speakers. So, um, you know, went on Craigslist cause you know, surprisingly it's really hard to find reasonable speakers these days. Like if you go out shopping, like, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but in Arlington, you know, Virginia or Northern Virginia, um, you know, you go to all the, the usual suspects like Best Buy or, um, you know, HH H. Gregg or whatever these, these department stores that, you know, sell electronics and, and such, you know, and you can find, you know, no joke, you can find 700 different varieties of laptops, you know, but you go and you look at the tower speakers and they've got, you know, 
depending on which which store you go to, they might only have like five selections. And you know, it's you know the the area is like completely not cared for anymore because people apparently don't buy speakers anymore. This is yeah. you know, and a lot of them are marketed for people that don't really care about audio. That's right. So you know, it's actually surprisingly difficult to find a decent pair of speakers. You know that that you're going to be reasonably happy with and that are reasonably affordable. Um, so I ended up finding some uh, some used Polk Audio Tower speakers that you know they're okay. They're, they're you know I bought them for 150 bucks for the pair, and they mm-hmm. they this pair cost like 1100 when it was new. So um, yeah, I feel like you know I got something great for what I for what I paid. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been getting into is I've been, you know, just, uh, listening to all these records and, you know, I've been buying a couple new records and I've decided that, um, there's certain music that, that I think plays really, really well on vinyl and other music that's actually just as good on digital. Hmm. But the thing that excites me is that, you know, when I like, it's just the thing, right? If you're going to take the time to listen to it you probably care more about it. You know, yeah. you're actually, you know, devoting time and that's and then in the digital age that means something. And so when you, you know, there's certain records like uh, I just got the uh the new uh Paul Bear record Foundations what the heck is that called? I don't know. Something. Um Foundations of something. <laughs> and uh it's great because it's like, you know, it's it's got that old school feel where you look at the record and you look at the liner notes and the artwork and like, you know, it all just feels good. You know, when you're looking at it and reading through it and you're like, "Oh, I, I can actually read the lyrics." It's like the film of uh of music. That's exactly right. It's, you know, yeah. the analog experience and there's also there's a touchy-feely component and also visual. So, you know, yeah. it's Yeah, and hopefully it never completely goes away. I hope I mean, the looking at records is a good a good analog for what I hope happens with film in the long run. Me too. That there's a really healthy market for vinyl right now. Yeah. And it's niche and not everybody's buying it, but because there's enough people that still love it, it's doing fine and it's not going anywhere. Right. And you're finding vinyl records now in really weird places, hmm. you know, like I hit records and you're yeah. finding them well, like in weird places, weird sections of the, f- the fact that you can find it in the mall now. Yeah. You know, like urban outfitters has a, like, you know, a new selection of, of, of hits that are coming That's out. That's what I'm talking about. You, yeah. you know, you see it um, there and you're like, wow, this is the thing again. That's neat. Yeah. The kid, the kids love it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to make some little recommendations for if anybody's still shopping for speaker speakers, have you seen the audio engine, uh, things that they have out there. There's little like desktop speakers. There's the A2 and the A5 and stuff. No, I've not heard anything about this. And I didn't end up buying them, but I really liked them. They are very attractive and they sound nice and are small and great. Hmm. Um, what, what kind of and, a price what we ended up? About? Uh, well, the, the smaller ones are 250 bucks for two desktop style. Like they're like monitor style speakers. And then for the bigger ones, it's 400 bucks for the two. Hmm. So, and they're powered and, you know, you don't need an app and they sound nice. So, but we, we have a Sonos system, Mm -hmm. which you can get for a lot cheaper now, which I love. And it's a mixed bag. The audio quality is very nice out of them, but because there's no RCA input at all, you have to rely on what you can stream to it. And sometimes that can be a little frustrating, Mm. Um, but also very convenient. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Sonos makes 
great products. You just have to be okay with their technology. Yeah. Yeah. I have the, um, the M audio BX eight, a monitor speakers on my desk. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know those ones, but I like M audio stuff. Uh, I'm going into an M audio box an M box right now mm. to record this podcast. Yeah. These are, these are, these are nice. Cause, um, you know, like for the area, you know, they're, they're just the right size. They're also powered and it's a very, you know, they're what, what monitor speakers are supposed to be. It's just, it's not affected. It's just what you, you're yeah, supposed clean. to be hearing. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Cool. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Awesome. Well, thanks Cameron. Yeah. This is good. Thank you. We'll see you next time. <laughs>